Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Grimwit with Dimwits. I'm Blondie. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> and I'm T. No ta-da required. <laughs> well, you had to get it in there real quick before you did your whole little intro. So how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. I uh, I cooked this year, so I worked my butt off. But it was worth it. We we had a good meal. We had a nice time. It was it was really good. How was yours? It was good. I actually saw your little post about your uh, cookbook hanger. <laughs> she like that. <laughs> oh, you're all bougie. <laughs> <laughs> what she's talking about? Because now you're talking, and no one knows what you're talking about. I know. I have a plastic pants hanger that has the two little metal clips, you know, that holds your pants in old school. And I hung it up on a cupboard knob and I hung my cookbook from it. And it works really, really well. I saw your friends were saying, why don't you bedazzle that and then sell them on eBay? Well, did you see some of my responses? I said, that was one I'm of them. selling them for $19.99 plus shipping and handling. But wait, there's, <laughs> there's more. more. <laughs> so mine was actually very good. It was a little slower in preparation. I had something done with my arm and I'm right-handed. It was on my right arm and it was in a splint. So to my advantage though, having that, seeing my, the splint, my nephew and my brother-in-law were all over it in the kitchen. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't lift this. I've got it. I've got it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. You know, me being a control freak, which we all know I am. It's a little hard. It was a little hard to take, but on the flip side, it was actually kind of nice. I'm sure it was. You just looking around going, and I am in charge of these two doofuses. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think I might have to make this a family tradition. <laughs> oh, so every year you're just going to put that splint somewhere on your body and <laughs> just be like, oops, darn, not again. Okay, crazy. Only the parts that I will be using with my arms or my hands. Oh, so what? <laughs> put it on a butt cheek. That's not going to work. No. <laughs> It ain't going to fit either, sister. You don't that's know one, that. That's one big splint. <laughs> hey, now. You do know I can hear you. I'm right here. That's a, that's a split splint. <laughs> oh, my God. You're crazy. That's a tunnel splint. I should say tunnel splint. Tunnel splint. <laughs> Good idea. I might have to steal that and use that at my house. Although I think my husband will probably go, you got another arm. That's right. You got another leg. You got another eye. What's the problem? That's right. What's the hold up? If not, here's the phone. Order something. They deliver. That's right. That's right. You really don't expect me to stop watching football right now, do you? Yes, I know that man. God love Mm. him. Yeah, all right. Somebody's got to. So we are continuing from last week. We are continuing from last week with the second half of the cannibalistic Milwaukee Monster episode about the nauseatingly wicked, and I'm not using those words lightly, Jeffrey Dahmer. Say that three times fast. I refuse. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't listened to part one, we highly suggest that you do so that you will get the entire ghastly story. Speaking of Thanksgiving and cooking... You know the little baggie of giblets you get out of the chicken, or the chicken, you get out of the turkey when you clean it? (laughs) I do know that little baggie. I know it too well. (laughs) I think it's kind of in the theme that we're going on, right? (laughs) Gross. (laughs) It's a giblet theme. 
Okay, that visual might be over the top for some people. <laughs> I didn't even mention the neck that you got to pull out of the body. Oh, you know, I boil that. That's my favorite part every year. Okay, like, and you're ooing me? You got you got a nerve. <laughs> that meat is really tender on that neck. It is really good. Okay, can we move on? <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. <laughs> and I thought this story was going to be icky. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? All right, so here we go. Let's get started. Let the grim begin again. Let the drum roll commence. Quote, it started with fantasies, fantasizing. It always started with fantasizing. And then eventually, it seemed the fantasies came to be, end quote, said Jeffrey Dahmer. We left you all in 1987 which was actually a pretty good year for Blondie and I. <laughs> Stuff yes, was it, going on. Yes, it was. We aren't going to elaborate, but yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. But that was the beginning of a nightmare for far too many others. At this time, Jeffrey Dahmer was desperate to find a more efficient way to fulfill his sexual fantasies, but no longer with drugging men in bathhouses, stolen mannequins to molest, or digging up dead corpses. Those troublesome strategies had all been tried and failed. Throughout 1987, Dahmer continued to cruise bars in the city's gay district. He would go and just sit and watch people for hours. At first, he wouldn't socialize much or even dance. He just sat, watched, and drank himself stupid. This wasn't so unusual to the other bar patrons because at that time, There were lots of men that still hadn't completely come out as gay, but they would come to the bars and hang in the shadows, so looky-loos were not out of the ordinary. After a while, Dahmer became more comfortable and started approaching men that he found attractive. He developed a hookup strategy of waiting until right before closing time to flirt with someone, and that helped him get lucky sometimes. His confidence grew and he began having a slew of sleazy one-night stands, and he continued to drug some of these partners. At this point, he's living la vida loca and had gone nine whole years without physically hurting or killing anybody. But there was a lot of conflict within him because he still had very dark sexual fantasies. Those thoughts were always there in the back of his mind but they were ever so slowly creeping forward, readying for any deadly opportunity to spring to life. Do you happen to know what he did for work or anything at this time? This is when he was at the chocolate factory. Okay. It costs money to buy drugs and go to bars. I was just curious. Yeah. And he was still living with his grandma, so he didn't have a lot of expenses. Okay. November 20th, 1987 was a night that changed everything. Dahmer met Stephen Tuomi at closing time outside of Club 219. They immediately hit it off, and Dahmer decided to get a room at the Ambassador Hotel so that they could spend an intimate night together. There was lots of booze, and of course, Dahmer did his usual and drugged Tuomi with a rum and coke, and Tuomi passed out. But Dahmer drank himself blackout drunk creating an unplanned, savage opportunity. The following morning, a very hungover Dahmer woke up and he was on top of Tuomi, 
who was lying across the bed with his head hanging over the side. Dahmer stated that Tuomi's body was cold, and when his eyes focused, he noticed that Tuomi's chest and ribs were caved in, and the skin on the left side of his chest was torn, as though someone had tried to get to his heart with their bare hands. Dahmer was stunned and had no idea how this happened, but that's when he noticed that his own hands were also bruised and bloody. He said, quote, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked and panicked. I'm very sorry that it happened because I had no intention of anything like that happening. There was blood coming out of his mouth. Apparently, I had beaten him with my fists on the chest, end quote. Dahmer now had a problem because he had only reserved the room for one night, but in light of the dead body he now had to deal with, he extended his stay for another night to figure out what to do. So he sat in the room for five hours, chain-smoking and trying to come up with a viable plan. Finally, he put the Do Not Disturb sign up and prayed the maids would not come in. Then he left and went to Woolworth's department store where he purchased a very large suitcase and brought it back to the hotel. He assumed he'd have to cut off Tuomi's legs to get his body in the suitcase, but by some dark miracle, the body fit with the legs attached. He then used bleach, soap, and water and cleaned up the bloody mess as best as he could. How in the heck does he clean a bloody mess off of a bed? and carpets, since blood, you know, has dripped from the guy's mouth while his head was hanging over the bed. Right. And I'm, yeah, and I'm going to assume other things in the room were at least, not trying to be insensitive, but at least splattered or smeared, right? Mm-hmm. He would have had to have some, like, Dear Abby-type incredible cleaning skills to pull this off in such a short amount of time. You remember Dear Abby? Wasn't Dear Abby the columnist? Yeah. <laughs> She used to give you all kinds of cleaning hints and oh, okay. cooking yeah, hints. Yeah. And... yeah, I got that. <laughs> he said that he had no intention of anything like this happening, but he drugs them. So he had some kind of intent, obviously, because his whole MO is he doesn't want them to move. But then he drinks himself into a blackout state. I don't know. The blackout state always makes me think of, you don't remember what happened, but tearing someone's chest open seemed like it's a jump. It does seem like a jump, but, you know, as we go on in the story, he does confess to this crime. I mean, he's not saying he didn't do it. What he's saying is he doesn't remember it. So it's not okay. like he's trying to get away with it. He's saying it he had to be me. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. remember it happening, but it had to be me. And at that time, they did not have suitcases on wheels. So if that's a full-grown man he's got in this suitcase. Right. For him to carry that. I'm assuming it had no wheels also. I don't think I saw anywhere that it did have wheels. But, um, yeah, I'm assuming he has to carry this. And from what I read, uh, Stephen Tuomi weighed like 160 pounds. Wow. Okay. So now he's cleaned up the mess. He called for a cab and lugged that, again, 160-pound heavy suitcase through the hotel. And with the cab driver's help, they put it in the trunk and made their way to Dahmer's grandma's house. On the way, the driver even made a joke and asked him if he had a dead body in there because it was so heavy. And Dahmer sarcastically said, I sure do. Here's the other thing. 
I can't believe he dragged a very suspiciously huge suitcase through a hotel and into a cab and not a single person questioned it. Quite the charmed and privileged life this guy leads. This is mannequin luck all over again. And I don't mean to be morose about this, but I'm just envisioning blood trail. Yeah, how does he get away with this? I mean, you know he doesn't have like a hefty bag in the room or something. So Right, so there's got to uh, be blood on the, on the suitcase or coming out of the suitcase. Somewhere. It makes no sense. I mean, the guy's chest was caved in. How is there no blood? I mean, when you die, I know it does stop pumping, but you're still moving it around. You'd think some would come out. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's not pumping, but it's still there. I feel like if you had it in a container, it's still going to move around. Mm-hmm. Probably sounded super insensitive, but you know what I mean. You're just trying to figure out logically how all of this could take place. Yeah. How does he raise the suitcase up and with gravity, the blood not go down? Makes no sense. But he did it. That's Jeffrey Dahmer. Him and his luck. With the body back at Grandma's house, Dahmer quickly disposed of it by cutting it up and putting the pieces in the trash. But he decided to wrap the head in cloth and kept it for two weeks and used it for sexual purposes. He then pulverized and disposed of it once it became too decomposed. None of Stephen Tuomi's remains have ever been found. So, isn't any kind of decomposed too decomposed? I'm not <laughs> understanding where his cutoff is. Especially if it's not kept in a controlled environment. Right. He's not keeping it in the fridge or anything. I mean, that's two weeks. That's a long time. And no intent, but since I did it, what the heck, let's just have fun with it. Let's just yeah. use it. It's so disturbing. And then when I talk about him pleasuring himself, I'm just going to say that throughout this story, when I say he gets rid of a body, whether it's quickly or not, his sickness takes over each and every time. And he always pleasures himself with it first in many horrific ways. And most of the time he does this many, many times over before he discards the bodies. I just can't imagine. What's going on in your mind? It's, yeah, so macabre. Dahmer states that in an interview that he felt horrified and confused following this murder because he realized he was, quote, out of control again. The ambassador did something. It triggered something. And I wanted more. It just gave me a sick pleasure. It dominated my thoughts doing these things. The compulsion was stronger than anything else. It was a single-minded, driving force. My desires were bestial, obviously, and my fantasies became my main focus in life. End quote. In January of 1988, Dahmer lured another man over to his grandma's house and drugged and raped him, but did not kill him. There were attempts to find other victims, but they were not all successful. On January 16, 1988, only two short months after accidentally killing Stephen Tuomi, 14-year-old James, also known as Jamie Dockstater, was sitting at a bus stop outside of Club 219. He was a runaway, and Dahmer asked him if he wanted to come back to his house, and the boy agreed when he was offered $50 for sex. Following consensual sex, Dahmer drugged him because Jamie had mentioned that he needed to leave before morning, and when morning approached, Dahmer said, quote, 
I just wanted to keep him, I guess. That's the best way to describe it. My thoughts obviously weren't that of a sane person at the time. I would have rather he'd stayed alive, but strangling seemed to be the only way to keep him. End quote. So that's what he did. This is a man on the last episode that said he doesn't do anything to children. Right. This is what I was saying. It's like, not even true. And what is this line in the sand as far as a, an adult or a child? Well, I think on record, the, the youngest he went was 13. That's a yeah. child. A 14-year-old is a child. I'm sorry. Yeah. A 17-year-old is a child. The next morning, while Jamie's corpse was still in bed, Dahmer dutifully went downstairs to have breakfast with his grandma. That's just unimaginable total detachment. Then he lovingly sent her off to church and dragged the corpse into the basement and kept it there for about a week. You know, to talk with it, cuddle like it was alive, and have sex with it whenever he pleased. After a week, he dismembered the body and threw it out with the trash. Dahmer was just a shell of a human being. He was not a human being at all. Not even a shell. Yeah, you're right. A shell's too much human for him. Mm Mm-hmm. On March 24, 1988, 22-year-old bisexual Richard Guerrero was coaxed to Dahmer's grandma's house by offering him $50 for nude pics. Then he was drugged and strangled with a leather strap. Sounds like Dahmer was trying to not strain his hands anymore. Dahmer then filleted the corpse and within 24 hours dismembered and disposed of the body. But after boiling and bleaching the skull, he kept it for several months. Does his grandmother not clean or go into his room or downstairs? I think she went into his room, but she didn't go downstairs because there was something about the stairs being kind of dangerous for her at her age. So mm-hmm. he pretty much had a run of that basement. It sounds like it. On April 2nd, 1988, 25-year-old Ronald Flowers was alone in a car park because his car wouldn't start. Dahmer came upon him and offered to help by going to his grandma's house to pick up his car and then come back and jumpstart Ronald Flowers' car. Dahmer didn't have a car. So at his grandma's house, Dahmer drugged his drink and he became unconscious. But this time, his grandma actually heard noise, woke up, went downstairs, and saw Dahmer with the unconscious Flowers. She questioned her grandson about this, and a now nervous Dahmer had to change his plans. Her hearing them in the house that night saved Flower's life because Dahmer could no longer kill him. At 250 pounds, Flower's body would take a lot of effort to get rid of, and his grandma was already on alert. So Dahmer ended up taking Flower's unconscious body to the county general hospital, dumped him, and took off. Thanks to Grandma, Flowers lived to bloom another day. Following this incident, Dahmer's grandma asked him to move out. She was very uncomfortable with him bringing strange men home to her house for God knows what, and she was aware that he continued to drink far too much. She was also really tired of the stench coming from her basement ever since her grandson arrived. What the hell was he doing down there? So Dahmer was forced to move out. When Dahmer finally got his own apartment, it only took him two days to lure 13-year-old Somsack Synthesomphone to his new place, 
he gave his usual story and told the boy he would pay him $50 for pictures. The boy took two photos in his underwear, which were later found in Dahmer's possession. Then Dahmer spiked his drink, but the boy never passed out. When Dahmer started listening to his stomach and fondling him, the boy quickly realized he was in danger, so he said he had to go. Weirdly enough, Dahmer went ahead and paid him the $50 and let him go. When Somsack arrived home, the drugs finally took effect and he passed out. He was taken to the hospital and told authorities what happened to him. The boy said, quote, He told me he liked listening to people's stomachs. Then when I was on the bed, he leaned down and he put his ears on my stomach, end quote. Somsack said he was freaked out and told the man he had to go. Dahmer later stated that he didn't have a weapon to kill him, so he just let him go. Somsack was able to take the police directly to Dahmer's apartment, and he was subsequently arrested for drugging and sexual enticement of a child. At the sentencing hearing, Dahmer was able to give a moving speech about how this will never happen again. But a psychologist warned that Dahmer was very likely to reoffend. Dahmer pled guilty and the judge only gave him a one-year sentence and allowed Dahmer to do his time with work release privileges. So he would only sleep at the jail when he wasn't working and he worked six days a week at the chocolate factory. Have you noticed how many times the word privilege comes up when we talk about Dahmer? I know we've also mentioned that he's lucky, but is he? Or is it just straight up privilege? I'm really starting to wonder. I'm wondering about a lot of things. Privilege, lucky. I think privilege is definitely a word that is starting to apply. Oh, for sure. But all of this sentencing stuff didn't slow our friend Jeffrey down. Because two months after his conviction, and two months prior to him serving his sentence, Dahmer murdered his fifth victim, Anthony Sears. Wow, that's our justice system. Aren't we so proud? That's crazy. The amount of things it's already gotten away with. Oh yeah, it gets better. March 25th, 1989, Anthony Sears, also known as Tony, was a very attractive, aspiring model at 24 years old. Tony was well known for his energetic personality and for his awesome hair. Tony met Dahmer at a club and the two hit it off. So much so that Tony's friend offered to drop them off to spend the evening together. Dahmer strategically had him drop them off at an intersection near his grandma's house, not wanting the friend to know exactly where he lived. Tony's friend, Jeff Connors, pulled Tony aside privately and told Tony he got a bad vibe from Dahmer and asked him not to go with him. But Tony said he'd be fine. You always go with your gut intuition. Right? Dahmer and Tony had a romantic evening right before Tony was drugged and strangled. Quote, he had a nice looking face, so I cut it off and put it in a large white barrel filled it up with acetone, and that preserved the face and the head. He kept a full head, not just the skull, and he also kept his genitals, which he eventually put makeup on to make it appear more lifelike. He put the two trophies into an airtight container for safekeeping. Dahmer did this extremely brazen killing 
while he was waiting to start his sins. Unbelievable. That's ballsy. The whole thing is insane. It really is. And it makes you wonder about his friend now going, I told you so. Yeah. I didn't put it in my notes, but his friend was actually blamed for his disappearance for quite some time because he was the last person to be known to be with him. And he he knew the family really well. They were very good friends. So he actually ended up leaving the area because he was under suspicion for many years. Interesting. There was an incident with his father coming upon this airtight container and thinking there was porn in it. So his dad demanded to know what was in it. Dahmer secretly removed the body parts and filled it with porn before showing his father. But following this, Dahmer decided to take the container to work and keep his trophies in his locker at the chocolate factory, where it was safe from prying eyes, and he could discreetly view them on a regular basis. Those body parts remained safely in his locker even after he started the work release program and slept at the jail. Man, if I worked there at that time and found this out, I would have chocolate hurled everywhere. That's so <sighs> gross. So gross. Ugh. And you'd think they have health department check stuff, but maybe not then. And maybe not private lockers. Who knows? Tony's family immediately started looking for him and got the police involved. And even though they had a description and name of Jeff from Chicago, Dahmer could not be found because, get this, he was already in jail serving his sentence at this point. How convenient. Right? Can't find him because he's already locked up. This police department does not look very good in this whole situation. Not at all. I was just going to say not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Regarding Tony, Dahmer stated, quote, If I knew how to love, I could have loved him. It was just a matter of trying to preserve what I had left of him. I hoped he would just dry out and stay looking like he did in life. But it didn't work out that way. By that time, it was fairly obvious that he didn't look like Tony anymore. It was just all shriveled up, end quote. Dahmer went on to say that after a while, keeping Sears parts didn't excite him that much. The excitement was wearing off. Tony was the last victim killed at Dahmer's grandma's house. I heard that he was dropped off. I missed that it was actually done at his grandma's house. Yeah, it was done at his grandma's house. Well, remember, he was about to go to jail, so he went back to his grandma's house. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. My apologies. I missed that part. Yeah, I don't think I really explained it. Just went on to the next step. Okay. I know you said he dropped him off by grandma's house because he didn't want him to know where he lived. Yeah. Gotcha. In May of 1990, after being released from his work release program, Dahmer was again forced to get his own apartment as he was not welcome at grandma's house anymore because his suspicious activities were stressing her the hell out. You think? Oh. (laughs) Grandma's going, oh, hell no. (laughs) Yep, not you. Love you, but you need to go somewhere else. And you're stinky. That's right. So he found a decent place at the Oxford Apartments, and in true Dahmer form, within a couple of days of moving in, he was excited and ready for his next victim. Quote, In my mind, I had my own place someplace nice and private where I could just take somebody back, drug them, and then strangle them, end quote. See, he's definitely not crazy. 
He knew exactly what he was doing and how to get it done. So not crazy. And you said he has a high IQ, so of course. This was all planned. He planned everything. Mm-hmm. So he's he's not insane and he doesn't, he's not, what am I trying to say? It's not that he can't control his impulses. He's planning all these things. Exactly. Part of his sentencing required that he be on probation following his release from jail. Now remember that a psych evaluation revealed that he was very likely to reoffend. So he was assigned a probation officer who was supposed to make regular visits to Dahmer's apartment. But the probation officer didn't make the mandated visits because they said the neighborhood was too dangerous. Huh? <laughs> Were they expecting utopia? I mean, this is so stupid. So they have a level of, I'm going to only go here if it's this type of neighborhood? Only the criminals that live in the Beverly Hills type neighborhoods. This is the only way I can do my job. <laughs> Ridiculous. The insanity. So Dahmer had nobody checking on him and nobody to answer to. Probation, schmobation, doesn't get much better than that. On May 20th, 1990, Raymond Smith, also known as Ricky Beeks, was a 32-year-old prostitute who willingly came to Dahmer's new apartment for 50 bucks. Ricky was given seven sleeping pills and was then strangled on the kitchen floor. He then performed oral sex on the corpse. You know, I just don't get it. If the guys are knocked out already and you want to fillet them, why wouldn't you do it while they're unconscious? Is this just another sick fetish to fillet a corpse? That really makes me want to hurl. And I would think seven sleeping pills would have killed him. Why would he go that extra mile with strangling him? What pleasure are you going to get out of it when they're already dead? Like you were saying. But that's his preference. That is his preference, which is, to me, I don't understand. Because well, later, on, later on, he says he just does it because nobody will stay with him. But we're seeing through these little stories, this is actually what he prefers. And what gratification are you getting out of it with, how do I say this tactfully? I mean, there's always that end result. You're not going to get that with a corpse. I don't think it's about that because that end result is about giving the other person pleasure. And he's not about giving the other person pleasure. He's only about giving himself, himself pleasure. pleasure. So I guess that's one of his things you like. Yep. You're right. I mean, I'm just trying to wrap my skull around it and it's not working. The following day, Dahmer purchased a Polaroid camera and took several pictures of Smith's body in sexually suggestive poses before dismembering him in the shower. Quote, it just felt like a waste to me to destroy someone that looked so nice. But by that time, I had no choice. He was dead and I had to find some way to dispose of the remains. A day or two later, I went out and bought this large 80-gallon kettle from one of the restaurant supply stores, end quote. He then boiled the legs, arms, and pelvis in the steel kettle with Soilax, which allowed him to rinse the bones in the sink. He also got a barrel and filled it with acid so he could liquefy the bones. Quote, it was a trash barrel, so the bones would just turn into slush that could then be scooped out into the toilet and flushed down. I also bought a five-foot square standing freezer because I was preparing for more, end quote. He kept the skull, spray-painted it, 
and stored it in his closet right next to Tony's seer skull that he had brought home from work. He also kept photo albums of his most pleasing victims before, during, and after dismemberment. So he felt that it was a waste to destroy someone that looks so nice. It was okay to kill them, but it was not okay to dismember them and flush them down the toilet. We're never going to understand this level of crazy. And and to be quite honest with you, I'm not even going to try to. I would hope I wouldn't understand it, to be honest with you. We don't understand it. So I feel like I'm, well, for the most part, somewhat sane. (laughs) (laughs) You're not flushing people's flesh down the toilet. No, I'm not. You got that. And the premeditation of buying the freezer. Yeah, because he said he wanted more. It was the whole purpose behind, you know, you got to put some thought into that. You got to go out. You have plenty of time to think about it, pick it out. You know, our body's going to fit in there. You got to think it through. He did all of those things because that's exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah, no, he's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Approximately one week later, Dahmer lured another young man to his apartment. But this time, Dahmer was very intoxicated and accidentally gave himself the drink with the sleeping pills. He passed out, and when he woke up, he found that the guy had stolen some personal items and $300. Oh no, poor Dahmer. But you know what? I still can't believe how lucky he is, because you know this victim thief ransacked his place since he stole from him. So how did he not see the fresh skulls or the dismemberment photos? Again, insane luck. That is extremely lucky. Right? But I, I couldn't help that I internally laughed when he, he drugged himself. Right. <laughs> I mean, and that's another missed opportunity where he drugged himself, passed out. This guy ransacks his apartment. You know he had to see those photos. There's no way. Because I think he just kept them in a drawer, you know? <laughs> How does he not get caught and reported? How? They were in the closet, so if you open the closet door, hello. I don't know, maybe he thought they were props or something. Well, what about the photos? He's taking photos of the dismemberments. Okay, that's what you said was in the drawers. Yeah, true. On June 14, 1990, Dahmer lured 27-year-old Edward Smith to his apartment of doom. This was pretty easy for Dahmer because the two men were friends. Nevertheless, he drugged and strangled Smith. What's the old saying with friends like that? But Dahmer was a bit more sentimental about this one because he wanted to preserve his friend. So he defleshed the corpse and put his skeleton in the freezer for several months, hoping that it wouldn't retain moisture. But that didn't work. He'd also tried salvaging the skull by putting it in the oven to dry it out. But that didn't work either. It ended up exploding. So Dahmer was unable to preserve any part of his friend and admitted later that he felt bad about it because it was a, quote, waste. Another waste because he couldn't do what he wanted to do with it. Right. On September 2, 1990, only three months later, Dahmer met 22-year-old Ernest Miller outside of a bookstore. After they spoke for a bit, Miller agreed to let Dahmer listen to his heartbeat and stomach noises for what he thought would be an easy $50. So my question about this one is, how is this guy not freaked out by this freaky freak's request? At least if someone asks for sex, that's more normal or maybe I should say expected, right? 
Mm-hmm. Who knowingly signs up for someone interested in body gurgles? I'd be like, no, that's too weird for me. That's a giant red flag. Yeah. Like, you really think that's what this guy's after? I'm not blaming the guy. I'm just saying. Should have been a sign. But when Dahmer tried to get touchy-feely and perform oral sex on Miller, he was told that would cost extra. So Dahmer laced the drink with only two sleeping pills instead of his usual five to seven because that was all he had left because he'd been a busy boy. Then Dahmer panicked because he felt like only two pills wouldn't knock him out. So he ended up slashing his carotid artery as well. Obviously, this caused Miller to bleed out within minutes and drench Dahmer's mattress and carpets. Dahmer then calmly posed his body and took pics. He severed the head and then just talked to it and kissed it the whole time he was dismembering the rest of the body. He also saved his heart, liver, kidneys, and biceps in plastic bags so he could eat them later. He ended up painting the skull, coating it with enamel, and excitedly added it to his growing collection. Okay, so this might be a little controversial, but I'm going to add a side note here. I'm most certainly not trying to make sense as to why anybody would practice cannibalism, because that makes absolutely no sense to me. But it did make me wonder, because Dahmer says he does this to be bonded to his victims. So how does this idea enter his head? Dahmer was heavily involved in his grandma's church for a while. And in church, people regularly partake of communion, which is also considered a bonding experience. In fact, Holy Communion is the most important religious service in the Christian church, in which people share bread and wine, which represent the body and blood of Christ that was poured out and broken as a sacrifice for our salvation. Every time we take communion, we activate the life and power of Christ, allowing His life to flow through us. It also has the property of the forgiveness of sins. So let me make it clear, I'm not blaming communion at all. But as a normal person, I interpret participating in communion to mean not only a bonding, but also a cleansing when you eat the body and blood of Christ. So it does make me wonder if a psychopath in their twisted thinking, could have interpreted any of those teachings as a way to bond with their victims. I get where you're coming from, but anywhere in the Bible does it say they actually ate part of... No. No, You know what I mean? Yeah. No. I get it. Don't get me wrong. I get it. I get the teaching. I understand what they're doing. But I think, in a, like I said, in a crazy person's mind, they may have tried to take it too literally and think that it might be okay to drink the blood and eat the flesh. I'm just saying. I get what you're saying, but it, it is a stretch. Right. But you are also talking about, like you said, a psychopath. A psychopath who's very yeah. confused and tries to make things too logical and tries to make everything apply to what he's doing so he could kind of talk himself into it because he's definitely not talking himself out of things. Right. So, I'm just throwing that in there. I know it's very controversial, but I just was thinking about it and I thought, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to say it. See where it goes. Well, and he wants to justify his actions, but I get where you're coming from with that. I do understand. Yeah, it, I was just trying to figure out why in his brain he thought this was a bonding experience. That's all. 
It makes it just makes sense, but does it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to the story. Three weeks later, on September twenty fourth, twenty two year old father of two, David Thomas, was persuaded to go with Dahmer to his apartment. Thomas was desperately broke and was offered money to pose for photos. Dahmer did his usual and laced his drink with sleeping pills. But while Thomas was knocked out, Dahmer decided that he wasn't really attracted to him. But now, he needed to kill him anyway, because he had gone too far. So he strangled him, dismembered his body, and because there was no attraction, he kept no part of him. But he did photograph the dismemberment process, and Thomas was later identified through these photos. Thomas's sister identified him through a picture of his partial head. His poor sister must have had nightmares after this, and I find this very odd because Dahmer does make a huge effort to murder his victims and dispose of their bodies, so why would he do this for what amounts to no pleasure? This one doesn't make any sense. So he wasn't attracted to him after he picked him up? Yep. And he drugged him, so how that equates to I have to murder you now, again, total insanity. And after he picked him up, you know, he could have just said, I don't think this is going to work out. I mean, that's what a normal person would say. Yeah, you sorry, know, you, you had a bad experience. Uh, you drank too much. You can make a lot of excuses and let the guy go. But nope, and I w- he ended up killing him. Following this, Dahmer made many attempts to lure many other men to his apartment over the next few months. But he couldn't close the deal and failed each time. Thank goodness. On February 18th, 1991, 17-year-old Curtis Strotter was standing at a bus stop and was offered money to pose nude and have sex with Dahmer. He accepted and then was drugged, cuffed, and strangled with a strap. Dahmer dismembered him and kept his skull, hands, and genitals while again photographing each stage of the dismemberment process for him to enjoy later. He took some of his intestines that were still attached to the body and penetrated them. I just got chills. That was so disgusting. See the look on my face. It's, again, I can't tell the difference these days, but it's pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) I love you too, Chica. (laughs) On April 7th, 1991, 19-year-old Errol Lindsay was walking and on his way to get a key cut. He was coaxed by Dahmer to his apartment, where he was immediately drugged. But Dahmer wanted to try something different with this victim. He wanted to experiment and try to make a living zombie sex slave. So he drilled a hole in Lindsay's skull and poured hydrochloric acid into his brain with a turkey baster. But Lindsay unexpectedly woke up after this and said, quote, I have a headache. What time is it? End quote. So Dahmer re-drugged him and then strangled him to death. He decapitated him and again kept the skull for sex and his macabre collection. He then flayed the skin and removed it from the corpse. But while the corpse was fresh and skinless, Dahmer had sex with the exposed internal organs. Then he put the skin in salt and cold water for several weeks, hoping he could preserve it but the skin became brittle and he had to get rid of it. You can see that he's becoming much more experimental with his victims now. And zombification? 
That sounds like something straight out of a sci-fi special. His mind is shot at this point. What would make him think that hydrochloric acid would preserve the brain and make him a zombie? I don't know where he got that from, but you know, he's been experimenting with stuff for a long time with animals and stuff, so... Ugh, it's truly revolting. By 1991, Dahmer's neighbors were constantly complaining about the revolting stench throughout the entire building, but some were pretty sure it stemmed from apartment 213. They also heard weird loud noises and a chainsaw sound every now and then. They wanted it figured out and cleaned up. When asked about the smell, Dahmer said his stand-up freezer went out and the meat had spoiled. When confronted a second time, he said several of his tropical fish had died, and not to worry, he would take care of it right away. He had a story for everything, didn't he? He was good. He was good. May 24, 1991, 31-year-old Anthony, also known as Tony Hughes, was a very attractive man and a deaf mute. He only communicated by writing things down on paper. Tony was a model and a very positive person who loved to go out and have fun with his friends. Dahmer and Tony knew each other for a short while, according to his friends, and they had even spent a few nights together. So when Tony saw Dahmer coming to the bar, he followed him to the dance floor. And that was the last time anyone ever saw Tony again. Dahmer later admitted that he tried to make Tony into a sex zombie with his drilling through the skull technique. He injected muriatic acid into the skull and Tony died from the injection. Dahmer kept his body for a few days, occasionally committing acts of necrophilia on the corpse. Dahmer stated, quote, The idea for the crude lobotomy came from my own thoughts, just in my own thinking that I thought maybe it would work. I didn't want to keep killing people and not have anything left except their skull, end quote. On May 26, 1991, Dahmer was sitting in a mall drinking a beer and eating some pizza when he saw 14-year-old Conorak sent some phone. He struck up a conversation and offered Conorak $50 to pose for pictures. So the young man agreed and they went to his apartment. Dahmer gives him a drink spiked with Halcyon, which is a sleeping pill, and knocks the kid out. He then takes him into his bedroom, where the bloated corpse of Tony Hughes, whom he had killed only three days prior, was still lying naked on the floor. Dahmer again attempted to create a living zombie and drilled a hole into Conorak's head and put acid into it. Dahmer assaults the boy and then decides to go out and have a few drinks at a local bar. He's so out of control, he hasn't even disposed of the last body yet, so now he's getting behind and letting them just pile up. And the boy Let didn't see the body? Well, at this point, he was out of it because of the drugs. He had, he had knocked him out before he took him into the bedroom. Okay. Late that evening, Conorak was spotted stumbling down the street, nude and bleeding. Two concerned women went to help. 911 was called, and the ladies asked for an ambulance to come and help out the young injured boy, who was all alone and out on the street naked. The women explained that the boy isn't even able to stand up straight, and he seems very out of it. Every time he tries to walk, he just falls down. 
After the ladies had called for help, Dahmer heads back to his apartment and spots Conorak with the women. He runs over and tries to say that the boy is his lover, and then he tries to manhandle Conorak to go with him. He even puts the boy in a headlock. But Conorak fights him off, and the women step in and don't allow Dahmer to take him. Police and ambulance arrive, and what happens at night is shocking. The police see this young kid who's completely out of it, beat up and bleeding from his rectum. But the kid isn't communicating, so they think he's drunk or high. Dahmer completely plays it cool and tells the officers that the boy is his lover and is 19 years old. The ambulance arrives and they start to assist the young boy and they don't see the hole in his skull. They assume he's battered because he was barely able to walk and was running into things due to being drunk. But when the women are trying to explain to the officers that this is not a man, he's obviously a child and they should be protecting him. They explained to them how aggressively Dahmer was trying to force the boy to go with him, but the child didn't want to go. The officers ended up telling these two black ladies to butt out and shut the hell up. And if they didn't calm down, they would be arrested for interfering. Had the officers even taken a moment to run Dahmer's name, they would have immediately discovered he was a registered sex offender, and Conorak and many others could have been saved. So Dahmer was able to convince the officers that they were lovers, and the officers actually helped Dahmer drag the boy back to his apartment, where Dahmer executed him within minutes. These ladies are superheroes, because they did so much after this, trying to check on the boy and make sure he was okay, but they were completely shut down by the police department who obviously just didn't want to deal with them or this case. I remember reading about this story, and I can't remember what happened with the officers, but I could not have lived with myself. No, I couldn't have either. I don't have it written down, but the officers were eventually fired, only because of all the media coverage this case got, but then they were rehired back with back pay after two and a half years. They got rehired back and they got all that back pay and they actually were promoted uh, over the years within the police department. One of them even became a captain and chief of police. That's sickening. Isn't it? It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Dr. Kenneth Smale, a forensic psychologist, claims that Dahmer said he did all of this because he just wanted someone who would stay with him without the fear of them leaving. Dahmer says, quote, there were a few where I tried the drilling technique, and I did the drilling with him too, meaning Conorak, before the officers came, end quote. According to Dahmer's defense attorney, Wendy Patricus, she says, quote, Jeffrey told me about Conorak and how he made some adjustments and changes in his method in an effort to make him into a zombie that would actually live. What the hell? Is she seriously trying to give credit for a new and improved method of killing? That's just an acid. Come on now. Right. Dr. Park Dietz explains that Dahmer drilled a hole into the skull and injected muriatic acid and was waiting to see if he had succeeded this time because the others died from that injection. When asked how far down Dahmer drilled through the skull, he said, quote, all the way down to the brain, about two or three inches, 
end quote. He also explained that surprisingly, there was no fluid from those drilled holes and no blood, at least none that he could see. Dahmer says, quote, Conorak was actually able to function to a limited degree following his drilling. He was sort of groggy and everything. He wasn't dead or anything, and he talked. I thought maybe I'd be able to keep him that way, end quote. You know, this part really bothers me because he's talking about this human kid as if he was trying to train a new pet. It's awful. So demented. So he's thinking that he's actually succeeding because he's groggy and he can still talk and it's okay because he wasn't dead or anything. Yeah, he's not dead or anything. Not yet. It's like, don't be crazy. It's not like I killed him before I went out and had a drink. Yeah, and I'm jumping ahead to, of course, after Dahmer was caught on this part, but I wanted to include it into this part of the story, so it's a full story. Dahmer would just tell him what he wanted him to do, and the boy did it. But what Dahmer didn't realize is that the boy still had the instinct and capability to run away. So he made the mistake of leaving him in the apartment alone, and that nearly got him caught. Well, thank goodness for racist, homophobic cops, right? Mm-hmm. Just delivered him right back to him. Yeah, let me help you carry him. Yeah. He then took two days' leave from work to quickly dismember and dispose of the bodies of Hughes and Conorak, but he retained both victims' skulls for his collection. And to make matters worse, this 14-year-old boy coincidentally happened to be the younger brother of Somsack, the boy that Dahmer was convicted of molesting, just three years earlier in 1988. That family's pain, I have no words. You're right. The poor family. Oh my gosh. One's killed, one's molested, and uh. By the same man. What are the chances? Exactly. Again, I can't even imagine. On June 30th, Dahmer traveled to Chicago to get out of his own neighborhood where he had too many close calls and felt like he was being watched. He met 20-year-old Matt Turner at a bus station. Turner agreed to a professional photo shoot with Dahmer in Milwaukee. After arriving at the apartment, he was drugged, strangled, and dismembered, and his head and internal organs were placed in bags and into the freezer. On July 5th, five days later, Dahmer met 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger at a Chicago bar and brought him home, promising to spend the weekend with him. He drugged him and drilled a hole in his brain and injected boiling water. Just a few hours later, he injected more boiling water and Weinberger spent the next two days in a coma, eventually dying on July 7th. Dahmer later recalled this murder to be exceptional because he died with his eyes wide open. That's a win for him? (sighs) Yeah. July 12th, 24-year-old Oliver Lacey agreed to Dahmer's offer of payment for nude photos. The two engaged in sex, and then Dahmer drugged him. He wanted to prolong the time he spent with him, so he tried to knock him out with chloroform. He ended up strangling him and then had sex with the corpse before dismembering him. He placed his head in the refrigerator and his heart in a plastic bag in the freezer to eat later. This was the first victim to be identified once Dahmer was caught. 
Lacey's mother had to identify him through a photo of her son's head in a cardboard box. <sighs> That's terrible. There were so many more victims than just the ones he killed. There really was. Oh, you are right on the money with that. It's overwhelming. Very. Dahmer was spiraling out of control and the killings became more frequent. He was beyond obsessed and the bodies were literally stacking up. He admitted that at one point, for days, he was showering in the tub with two dead bodies that he hadn't gotten to yet. His obsession was causing him to lose everything and he had even got fired from his job during this time. Can you imagine showering with corpses in the tub while you're in there? No, not at all. And the water hitting these dead bodies had to make it a thousand times worse in July? Oh, I didn't think about that being in July. Oh, my God. And I was thinking about that, you know, when he had the other two that he had to take time off work to get rid of. You know, he's doing it again. Yeah. At this point, he's lost his mind. July 19th, 1991, 25-year-old Joseph Braidhawk was lured to Dahmer's apartment, then drugged and strangled. Dahmer left the body on his bed covered with sheets for two days. When Dahmer removed the sheet, he found that the head and body were covered in maggots. So he decapitated the head, cleaned it out, and then placed it in the refrigerator. He disposed of the rest of the body in his usual manner. This was the last person Dahmer killed before he was caught and arrested. I hate to even wonder out loud, but was he going to eat that head that had been covered in maggots? And why would I be shocked if he did? He's, this is like the worst horror movie ever. Ew, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Why'd he clean it and put it in the fridge? With a little mag... Oh. Ugh, I, I can't with maggots. Not scared of much, but maggots? No, thank you. Mm -mm. Following his arrest on July 25th, 1991, Dahmer was charged with four counts of first-degree murder. By August 22nd, he had been charged with 11 additional murders committed in Wisconsin. On September 14th, investigators in Ohio uncovered hundreds of bone fragments two molars, and parts of vertebrae in woodland behind the home where Dahmer confessed to killing his first victim, Stephen Hicks. Three days later, Dahmer was charged by the authorities in Ohio with Hicks' murder. Dahmer was not charged with the attempted murder of Tracy Edwards, nor was he charged with the murder of Stephen Tuomi, because Dahmer didn't remember the actual murder, and there was no proof that he actually killed him. At a preliminary hearing on January 13, 1992, Dahmer pled guilty, but insane, to 15 counts of murder. So wait a minute. He was not charged with Stephen Tumay? Tumi? Tumi's no. murder, even though he said he was the one that his hands were bruised and bloody and he was the one that beat him even though he was blackout drunk? He was on top of the dead body. And they didn't charge him with that because he didn't remember actually killing him. <sighs> At this point, is it luck or is it privilege? I, I'm not sure. A combination. It's disgusting. I mean, how is that supposed to make Stephen Toomey's family feel? Almost like it didn't count. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Oh, I don't change anything in the sentencing, but they have to count at some point. They have to mean something. 
Right. They have to be included. It has to be acknowledged. But insane to 15 counts? Really? Dahmer's trial began on January 30th, 1992. Attorneys at Dahmer's trial debated whether he suffered from either a mental or a personality disorder. The prosecution claimed that any disorders did not deprive Dahmer of realizing the criminality of his conduct or deprive him of the ability to resist his impulses. The defense argued that Dahmer suffered from a mental disease and was driven by obsessions and impulses he was unable to control. I think that on that part, he probably wasn't able to control him later on, but a lot of it was premeditated. If it wasn't, why is he getting these sleeping pills? That, number one, you're going out buying sleeping pills for this particular reason. That's premeditated. They're all premeditated. Every single one of them was premeditated. I think at the end, he he wasn't thinking clearly, but Mm -hmm. he was just doing what he'd been doing all along for years. It's just become the norm to him, it almost seems like. Right. On February 8th, Fred Forsdale testified on behalf of the prosecution. He believed that Dahmer was without mental disease or defect at the time he committed the murders. He described Dahmer as a calculating and cunning individual, able to differentiate between right and wrong, with the ability to control his actions, and whose lust overpowered his morals. Now that I completely agree with. That I'm on board with. Totally. The second and final witness to appear for the prosecution psychiatrist Park Dietz began his testimony on February 12, 1992. Dietz testified that he did not believe Dahmer had any form of mental disease or defect when he committed these crimes, stating that, quote, Dahmer went to great lengths to be alone with his victims and have no witnesses. There was ample evidence and Dahmer prepared in advance for each murder. Therefore, his crimes were not impulsive, end quote. That is so obvious, and I have no idea how anybody could even argue that this wasn't well-planned, and he's not so crazy after all. This was all planned. Don't even, oh, yeah. don't even try. Yeah, of course. Two court-appointed mental health professionals testified that Dahmer murdered as a result of, quote, pent-up aggression within himself. He killed those men because he wanted to kill the source of his homosexual attraction to them. And killing them, he killed what he hated in himself, end quote, said Palermo. He concluded that Dahmer had a severe mixed personality disorder with antisocial, obsessive, compulsive, sadistic, fetishistic, borderline, and necrophile features, but otherwise he was legally sane. Geez, what the heck is left after all those, right? (laughs) At least he said that he was legally sane. Oh, yeah. Friedman testified that it was his longing for companionship that caused Dahmer to kill, but he was not psychotic. He described Dahmer as, quote, amiable, pleasant to be with, courteous with a sense of humor, conventionally handsome, and charming in manner. He was, and still is, a bright young man. End quote. I don't think this guy got the memo. Bright young man, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> you know, he only did it because he was lonely. I mean, look at all these wonderful things that he is. Yeah. He's the boy next door. Exactly. 
The trial lasted two weeks, and on February 14th, attorneys delivered their closing arguments, describing Dahmer as a sane man in full control of his actions, who simply strove to avoid direction. Attorney McKenna described Dahmer as a calculating individual who killed to control his victims and retain their bodies, quote, merely to afford himself a prolonged period of sexual pleasure, and by pleading guilty but insane, Dahmer was desperately trying to escape responsibility for his crimes, end quote. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. He's mm. obviously right. On February 15th, Dahmer was ruled to be sane and not suffering from a mental disorder at the time of each of the 15 murders for which he was tried. Formal sentencing was postponed until February 17th, and on this date, Dahmer's attorney announced his client's wish to address the court. Dahmer then read from a statement prepared by himself and his defense as he faced the judge. In the statement, Dahmer emphasized that he had never desired freedom following his arrest and that he, frankly, wished for his own death. He further stressed that none of his murders had been motivated by hatred and that he understood that nothing he either said or did could undo the terrible harm he had caused the families of his victims and the city of Milwaukee, end quote. He and his doctors believe his criminal behavior had been motivated by mental disorders. Dahmer added that this medical knowledge had given him some peace and that although he understood that society would never forgive him, he hoped God would. Dahmer closed his statement with, quote, I know my time in prison will be terrible, but I deserve whatever I get because of what I have done. Thank you, Your Honor, and I am prepared for your sentencing, which I know will be the maximum. I ask for no consideration, end quote. He then calmly returned to his seat. He's definitely keeping those creep vibes all the way to the end, because that was creepy. He is, and I do like the part where he says he and his doctors believe his criminal behavior was motivated by mental disorders. That almost sounds like he's giving himself a pass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. And then he's being all, you know, I'll take my punishment. I know what I did. Does he even really say he knew what he did was wrong? Yeah, he does, actually. I mean, he says... In a roundabout way. You keep calling me out on this stuff to keep going back. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, he says, I deserve what I get because of what I have done. So he does know what he did was wrong. Yeah. But then he's trying to give himself a pass by saying, oh, my doctors say that I'm mentally... What do you say? Mental... Have mental disorders. Yeah. Dahmer was sentenced to life imprisonment plus 10 years upon the first two counts. The remaining 13 counts carried a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment plus 70 years. The death penalty was not an option for Judge Graham to consider at the penalty phase, as Wisconsin had abolished capital punishment in 1853. Another missed opportunity for righteous justice. They must not have heard our murdering the death penalty episode. No, they didn't. They should have heard it a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Upon hearing of Dahmer's sentencing, his father, Lionel, and stepmother, Sherry, requested to be allowed a 10-minute private meeting with their son before he was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institution to begin his sentence. Their request was granted and the trio exchanged hugs and well wishes 
before Dahmer was escorted away. I don't know a lot about formal serial killer sentencing, but I have never heard of anyone being allowed hugs and kisses alone time with family, especially a freakazoid serial killer before they cart them off. Why is he given this? And I'll say it again, privilege. His victims' families didn't get that opportunity. And it's not like he's going away to camp. Nope. That's, that was a right. That's that so not right. I mean, and you know that they did this in the court in front of the families who are sitting there going, I wish I'd had 10 minutes of hug and kiss time alone with my kid before you killed him. Everything is such a slap in the face. That bothered me. Out of a lot of things that I've talked about today, that really bothered me. Three months after his conviction in Milwaukee, Dahmer was extradited to Ohio to be tried for the murder of his first victim, Stephen Hicks, where he pled guilty. Forty-five minutes later, Dahmer was sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment. His total sentence for all his crimes was 941 years, but technically, and with any luck, as we know Dahmer has, he could be eligible for parole after 375 years. Dahmer was transferred to Columbia Correctional Institution for the first year of his incarceration and placed in solitary confinement due to concerns for his physical safety. Because, you know, keeping these cannibalistic monsters alive and safe should always be our first priority, said no one ever. He also received a ton of fan mail that included money, which he spent on all of his comforts, stationery, cigarettes, and magazines. I wonder if anybody sent money to the victims' families for their comforts and needs. You think? I was thinking the exact same thing. It's so backward. The whole system is laughable. And the people that are sending the fan mail with the money, that's... Yeah, that's so sick. There is a thing called therapy, people. Exactly. And you need it. But Dahmer couldn't handle solitary confinement, and after one year and upon his request, he was transferred to a less secure unit where he could socialize and was assigned a two-hour daily work detail, cleaning the gym and toilet areas. Maybe I'm a little twisted too, but I feel like keeping him in solitary confinement and nobody being allowed to speak to him for the rest of his life outside of execution would have been an effective punishment with his fear of abandonment. Oh, that's right. Good yep. call. Good that's call. what they should have right. done. They should have just left him there. Even though it's more money, they should have left him there. We're already paying for him to be around anyway. At least he'd be punished in the process. Dahmer requested and was given a Bible and gradually redevoted himself to Christianity and became a born-again Christian and was baptized in the prison whirlpool. Following Dahmer's baptism, Pastor Roy Ratcliffe visited him on a weekly basis, and the two regularly discussed death. Dahmer eventually divulged, months prior to his murder, that he was questioning whether he was sinning against God by continuing to live. During a 1994 interview with Stone Phillips on Dateline NBC, Dahmer had stated, quote, If a person doesn't think that there is a God to be accountable to, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought, anyway. I guess he's saying that to Stone Phillips to say that's why he did what he did, because he didn't believe in God during that time. But what about, I don't know, not human nature, what about just the right to human survival? 
Exactly. On July 3, 1994, a fellow inmate, Osvaldo de Russi, attempted to slash Dahmer's throat with a dull razor while Dahmer was sitting in a prison chapel. Dahmer received only superficial wounds and was not seriously hurt. According to Dahmer's family, he was completely ready to die and was accepting of any punishment he might receive in prison. On the morning of November 28, 1994, Dahmer was accompanied by fellow inmates to conduct his assigned work detail. The two fellow inmates were Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. The trio were left unsupervised near the showers for about 20 minutes. At approximately 8.10 a.m., Dahmer was discovered on the floor of the gym bathroom, bleeding out from extreme head wounds. He had been bludgeoned about the head and face with a 20-inch metal bar. His head had also been repeatedly struck against the wall in the assault. Although Dahmer was still alive and rushed to the hospital, he was pronounced dead less than an hour later. Jesse Anderson had been bludgeoned as well and died from his wounds two days later. Christopher Scarver was serving a life sentence for a 1990 murder. He had attacked Dahmer first as he was cleaning a staff locker room before attacking Anderson as he was cleaning inmate lockers. According to Scarver, Dahmer did not yell, fight back, or make any noise while he was attacked. Immediately after beating both men, Scarver, who was thought to be schizophrenic, went straight back to his cell and confessed to what he had just done. He said, quote, God told me to do it. Jesse Anderson and Jeffrey Dahmer are dead. End quote. Scarver adamantly denied that he planned the attacks, but later did divulge that he had concealed the 20-inch bar in his pants right before the killings. Maybe that dark spot in my heart is rearing its ugly head again. A crazy murderer on crazy murderer crime seems about right. And that's so Dahmer's M.O., not having the premeditation. Scarver admitted that he didn't plan it, but he had that 20-inch bar in his pants. Right. Murder but gets murder. Yep. On a side note, Christopher Scarver claims that the reason he killed Dahmer was he felt he killed mostly black men because he was a racist. He also killed Anderson because Anderson had blamed two black men for his crime. On a date night, Anderson had stabbed his wife 21 times in the face and head and then strategically stabbed himself in the chest only three times. He then blamed two black men for the attacks. It was later discovered that the baseball cap he claimed to have knocked off of one of the attacker's head was a cap that Anderson had purchased recently from a university student. Wow. You know, on a side side note, I was watching a video about inmates and they were talking about Scarver. And one of the things that they'd said wasn't really about Scarver, but During that time, they said that Dahmer had tormented the inmates by molding his food into body parts before he ate it. I had heard that, too. I had heard that, too. I don't know if that was confirmed, but I had also heard that. Upon learning of Dahmer's death, Joyce Dahmer responded angrily to the media by saying, quote, Now is everybody happy? Now that he's bludgeoned to death, is that good enough for everyone? End quote. The response of the families of Dahmer's victims was mixed. 
Some celebrated the news, while others were strangely sad. Catherine Lacey, the mother of victim Oliver Lacey, remarked, quote, The hurt is worse now because he's not suffering like we are, end quote. Oh, I get the mixed feelings now. I thought, yeah. why would they be mixed? I'd be thrilled to death. But she's right. He's not suffering. Not suffering anymore. The district attorney who prosecuted Dahmer cautioned against turning Scarver into a folk hero, saying that Dahmer's death was still a murder. On May 15, 1995, Scarver was sentenced to two additional life sentences for the murders of Dahmer and Anderson. Dahmer wanted no funeral services and wished to be cremated upon his death, with his ashes divided between his parents. The Oxford apartments where Dahmer had killed 12 of his victims were demolished in November of 1992. This site is now a vacant lot. Plans to convert the site into a memorial garden, a playground, or new housing have all failed. And this was because the city didn't want to build a memorial because they were fearful that it would draw Dahmer fans to the area. And a playground? Um, no, that's not appropriate. Wow. Yeah, so it's still just empty. I don't know. I think they could do a memorial to his victims. But then Dahmer people will show up as well. Do you want Dahmer freaks in your area? Yeah, that's true. I mean, the ones that sent him money while he was getting his, right. you know. No. Or maybe people that would try to go in and mimic what he did. Nobody wants that. Dahmer's estate was auctioned off with the profits going to victims' families. And naturally, this drew controversy, even though the victims' relatives stated the motivation was not greed. A civic group in Milwaukee was quickly established in an effort to raise the funds to purchase and destroy Dahmer's possessions. The group raised $407,225, including a $100,000 gift by Milwaukee real estate developer Joseph Zilber to purchase Dahmer's possessions. Following the purchase, all of Dahmer's possessions were destroyed and buried in an undisclosed Illinois landfill. I love this. Every item related to Dahmer's depravity no longer exists. There should never be any souvenirs, for lack of a better word, to feed into other people's distorted minds. I love this. And you know that there would be, have been people that wanted to buy all this stuff. Of course. Of course. People are just sick. Lionel Dahmer is retired. He lived with his second wife, Sherry, until her recent death this year in 2023. Throughout this ordeal, they both refused to change their surname and continue to profess their love for him in spite of his crimes. Joyce Flint, Dahmer's mother, died of cancer on November 27, 2000. Prior to her death, she attempted suicide on at least one occasion. Dahmer's younger brother, David, changed his surname, and lives in anonymity. That's totally three different aspects right there. Yep. Again, there were multiple victims, not just the ones that he killed. Multiple. Mm -hmm. When asked about his family, Dahmer quickly said, quote, Leave my family out of it. My parents don't have any knowledge of my activities. End quote. When his father, Lionel, found out about his son's murders, he was shocked and felt horrible about what his own son did to other people. But he said, quote, I love him very much 
and didn't realize just how sick he was. And I will definitely always stand by him in my thoughts and prayers. End quote. I hope he has the same prayers for the victim's family. I hope so, too. And, you know, he doesn't sound like a bad guy. He really doesn't. He sounds like he was more of an absentee father because of the situation at home. But he doesn't sound like a bad guy. But you can't make excuses for somebody who's gone this far. Mm-hmm. You really can't. What about the victim's families? We keep going back to that. I think Dahmer's family's victims as well. But I do think they contributed something to his behavior. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So naturally, we wonder, what went so horribly wrong? Dahmer himself says, quote, The only person to blame is me. Absolutely nobody else. Those are just excuses, end quote. He was the one with the obsession. He was the one with necrophilia. He was the one with the many sicknesses. And he was the one who stated, quote, Corpses, they don't complain, they don't make demands, and they don't leave. End quote. Wow. I think that sums it up right there. That does not sound like the statement of an insane person. No. No. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yep, he sure did. And he did what he needed to do to get it done. Thank you for that second disturbing episode. You're welcome for that second disturbing episode. <laughs> it was, uh, it's rough, but you know, I always say I want to report the whole story. Well, thank you very much for listening. And remember to take care and don't forget to let your imaginations run wild. Goodbye, everybody. We just want to thank you all for sharing your time with us. And if you'd like to send in your creepy little grim bits, we would love to hear your personal stories, interests, and suggestions. Please email them to grimwitwithdimwits at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at grimwitwithdimwits, Twitter at grimwitwithdimwits, and Facebook, grimwitwithdimwits. Join us every Monday for new episodes and feel free to share us with your grim-loving friends. We would really appreciate if you would take a minute to rate and review. Five-star ratings go a long way and would really help us out. Until then, we would love it if you'd come back next week to delve with us into the strange and unusual things we just can't wrap our skulls around.